and welcome to another episode of the Fundamentals Podcast. I am your host, Harley. Thank you so much for checking out this particular episode of the Fundamentals Podcast. This one is going to be a slight departure from the norm. Normally I'm speaking to somebody and there's a bit of a back and forth as they explain to me why they love a particular subject. Uh, on this occasion, there will be sound bites, there will be interviews, and there will be clips from songs, but there won't be a back and forth in conversation. Really, this is this is something personal to me, and I've wanted to put this out as a tribute to somebody that we lost this year. So for anyone who doesn't know, on October 6th, 2020, we lost an absolute legend in the music community. And when that is in the form of Eddie Van Halen. Anyone who's listened to this podcast or has just met me for more than 10 seconds in, uh, in my personal life will know that I'm a huge fan of the guitar. It's something that's very near and dear to my heart. It's an instrument that I could talk for hours about. And I'm not, I'm not the only one. And when I heard the news that Eddie Van Halen had passed away, I, like many other guitarists around the world, was absolutely devastated. I couldn't believe it. It's, it's such a huge loss for this community. He's a man that's had really probably one of the most significant impacts on the instrument in recent years, in the last sort of hundred years, I would argue. And my plan here really is just to explore his life and career, find out why it was that he had such a profound impact. And I hope that you listening can learn something, even if you've never heard of him, we don't know much about Van Halen, the band. I hope that I can share some stories and explain that to you. So without further ado, please enjoy this very special episode of the Fundamentals podcast about the life of Eddie Van Halen. Edward Ludwig van Halen was born on January 26, 1955, in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Growing up, both he and his brother Alex were encouraged to take up music lessons by their parents, both of whom were accomplished musicians. Eddie became quite proficient with the piano, and a few years later, when the family moved to California, he decided to take up the drums, and Alex picked up the guitar to learn himself. Well, as all of us know, quite famously, Eddie is the one who plays guitar and Alex plays drums in the band Van Halen. So at some point they must have switched, right? They certainly did. Let's hear a little clip from an interview from the brothers explaining what happened. You see, you have to remember, Ed, I used to play guitar yeah. and Ed played drums. Right. And to make a long story short... He got better, so I played his guitar. But the moment he picked up the guitar, it didn't take a genius to figure out that he had a connection with it. Unsurprisingly, the brothers joined forces to form a band in high school and performed many a local gig. As time went on, they eventually formed what would become the Van Halen lineup in 1974. This consisted of Eddie on guitar, Alex on drums, David Lee Roth on vocals, and Michael Anthony on bass. The band cycled through a few different names over the years, two of which came out in quite a few articles that I read were Genesis and then Mammoth, but eventually they ended up with Van Halen. Apparently this was David Lee Roth's idea. 
after gigging around California for quite a few years, including a regular set in the Sunset Strip of Hollywood, where quite a lot of famous bands have come from, they eventually landed themselves a record deal. Shortly before this, they did a few demo tapes to obviously get attention, one of which was apparently with Gene Simmons from KISS, although the partnership didn't last very long as he had a few ideas for the band, one of which being to change the name to Daddy Longlegs. I think I can safely speak for everyone when I say that it was a good call not to continue working with him. After securing their record deal, though, they managed to get into the Sunset Recorders studio and in September of 1977 laid down a mostly live track recording of what would become their debut album, Van Halen. The album was released in 1978 and, well, it's safe to say that one track in particular changed guitar history forever. Fun fact for you, that was apparently a warm-up. I'm not kidding, that was actually Eddie Van Halen warming up. He used to do a sort of rendition of this before shows and recording sessions, and a studio engineer overheard this and wisely suggested that Eddie record it. Initially, he was hesitant, wondering if anyone would really care or be interested in it, but he did it, and, well, the impact was huge. Don't just take my word for it. Let's hear from legendary guitar player Slash from Guns N' Roses about the impact of this particular guitarist. Eddie changed the face of guitar, period. I don't think anybody's had as much an influence. I know this is probably a cliche, but since Jimi Hendrix, it was like every kid on the block was learning Van Halen licks. It was ridiculous. And uh, as far as for me, it was in between all the technical prowess that, that Eddie had, there was a killer blues thing, which nobody, everybody that emulated it, but nobody ever got it. Nobody ever got that part. They had the, the hammer-ons, they had the tremolo bar stuff, but they, they never got the most important thing was all the really tasty stuff that was in between, and just like some of the, the melodic stuff where the soul was coming from. Yeah. And so everybody in town had to learn how to play like Van Halen for eons after that, and that's just the way it was. So, I mean, he contributed a lot, but you really have to get into um, every record and every solo and just start making, because there's a little statement there and everything. Um, I just think all around it was a uh, shot in the arm for guitar. Commercially, the album did very well, going at number 19 in the US Billboard charts, and Van Halen were well on their way to success. <laughs>
decided he would go about making his very own custom guitars. And I'm not talking about going to a custom shop and working closely with an engineer or a luthier. No, I mean that he got the darts that he wanted and assembled them on his kitchen table. This is something that he didn't realise at the time, but it would have a huge impact on the guitar community. And the reason why is, well, there's a number of reasons. I mean, for one thing, when a guitar player becomes really successful and inspiring, you know, someone such as Eddie, the first thing that guitar players do is immediately go to the gear. We want to know what they're playing and how we can get our hands on it. And this was something that I think frustrated Eddie, particularly at the time in, you know, during uh, his gigging years in Hollywood. It's something that other guitar players like Slash have commented on before that, if you had an idea, you had something that was original, well, everybody would go and steal it and copy it. So had he walked out on stage with a particular brand of popular guitar, well, chances are everybody would have gone and picked up the same thing and it would be all everyone was playing the next week in Hollywood. So I think it was quite ingenious of him to go in the opposite direction and make something that was truly unique. And he did this a lot. And this one design in particular that really stands out and you can see it replicated countless times today and it's so iconic is the Frankenstein or the Frankenstrat. It really was a Frankenstein type of guitar though. As I said, he built it from bits and pieces of guitars that he liked before. He liked a certain neck, he liked a certain pickup, he liked a certain body and he just slammed them together and that was it. Coated it with three different coats of paint and used tape to kind of strip certain layers off in random directions and it created this very unique and now iconic stripey type look which you can see pretty much with any kind of Van Halen logo. And yeah, it did wonders. It was the guitar that caught a lot of attention. It's uh, innovated in as much as it combined the sounds of your typical kind of Gibson humbuckers with the bodies of your Fender Stratocaster guitars, effectively the first Super Strat really. And unsurprisingly, many of the guitars since have been inspired by this. Well, with all of this going on, it made sense for the band to continue their hot streak and get straight back into the studio. The end result of the next recording session was the album Van Halen 2. This album gave them their first commercial hit and being released the next year in March of 1979. Their first hit single was the song Dance the Night Away.
album was, of course, not without some classic Eddie Van Halen guitar wizardry. However, on this particular occasion, featuring the instrumental side of things, Eddie decided to go unplugged, showing us that he could do the same kind of amazing work that he did with Eruption, but on a Spanish classical guitar. Innovations with the guitars continued as well on this album. The Frankenstrat got a much-needed upgrade in the form of a Floyd Rose tremolo arm, which it's safe to say Eddie definitely helped to popularise with his crazy dive bombs. And also, the word was introduced to the Bumblebee. The Bumblebee guitar was a very similar design to the Frankenstrat, a stripy, custom-made sort of hybrid guitar, as we said earlier, with the Stratocaster and Gibson parts and a black and yellow stripy design, which, as we said earlier, was becoming a Van Halen signature look. There were some new features to this guitar, including wiring that went through the back, so there was no scratch plates or anything really on the front of the guitar, and the pickup dipped in paraffin wax. Apparently, these kinds of innovations helped to make things easier to maintain and gave the guitar a truly unique sound. Someone who, many years later, would greatly appreciate all of these features and so much more about this particular guitar was none other than legendary guitar player Dimebag Daryl from Pantera. As the interviews and other things that I've read have explained, the Dimebag himself made a point to tell Eddie how much he loved the Bumblebee guitar. In fact, it was his favourite guitar design ever. Eddie was deeply touched by this young man's sentiments, and so he began to work on getting a replica made from the factory that Eddie was working with at the time. Sadly, though, Eddie wouldn't get to hand this guitar over to Dimebag as he was tragically killed on stage. But Eddie wasn't going to let death stand in the way. And in what I consider to be an incredible move, Eddie contacted his family and arranged for him to have the original guitar, the original Bumblebee, used on this album, Van Halen 2, to be buried with Dimebag Daryl. A truly remarkable gesture. After the massive success of Van Halen 2, the band toured, built up even more of a fan base, and unsurprisingly continued their streak by hitting the studio again to record their third album, Women and Children First. Like a lot of bands when they start out, they did this kind of run where it was just a, an album a year, essentially. This one came out in March 26, 1980, and it received great reception with both fans and critics alike this time reaching number six in the US Billboard charts, gradually climbing their way up each time. 
Following on from this, the band hit the studios again the following year to record their next album, Fair Warning. This is one of my personal favourites, as I feel it has some classic innovation from Eddie on the guitar, including what I consider to be one of the coolest intros with a guitar to any song ever in the song Mean Street. The album did very well commercially, earning them a number five spot in the US Billboard charts, just climbing that one bit higher than their previous album. This album also introduced us to the use of keyboards in Van Halen's songs. It's not that surprising when you think about it, given Eddie's background on the piano, and he'd even tried to create a patent, which I highly recommend you Google. If you just look up Eddie Van Halen patent, it comes up, where basically he had this sort of strap and counterbalance set up, which would allow him, in effect, to lay his guitar flat out facing upwards, almost like a keyboard, so he could kind of tap away on it. So clearly it's something that he was kind of near and dear to his heart. And as I said, it's not really a surprise that these synthesizers would start edging their way even more into Van Halen's work. Something else that happened during this album and touring cycle was really one of the most significant things in Eddie Van Halen's life. That was the time that he met and later married his wife, actress Valerie Bertinelli. Despite all the uh, increase in fame and the changes in personal life, Van Halen was showing no signs of slowing down. By this point in 1982, Eddie Starr was rising so prominently that he even got an invitation from the King of Pop to collaborate on the massively successful album Thriller by Michael Jackson. The end result was the song Beat It. 
this song is probably one of the most instantly recognizable sort of guitar infused pop songs ever with its iconic riff and crazy solos from Eddie Van Halen it's one that's truly stood the test of time and perhaps opened up Eddie Van Halen to a more pop friendly audience But of course, this collaboration didn't take Eddie away from his main project, Van Halen, and on April 14th of 1982, they released their fifth studio album with David Lee Roth, Diver Down. This album did very well for them, reaching number three in the US Billboard charts, and the album cover featured the now instantly recognisable Van Halen colours, that being the black, white and red sort of stripy look that was infamous on Eddie's guitars. This album featured a few cover songs as well as some pretty interesting innovations from Eddie on the guitar. One track in particular that I think is often overlooked when it comes to Eddie's work is the instrumental Cathedral. <laughs> This leads me really into something I wanted to talk a bit about with this particular podcast, and it's something that you can't overlook when it comes to Eddie Van Halen, and that is the two-handed tapping technique. It's something that was not invented by Eddie, but definitely pioneered, and he admits it himself. He got inspiration from Jimmy Page in the solo from Heartbreaker, and he just took this kind of idea of breaking down an arpeggio, which is a sort of chord in a guitar, and just tapping out the notes using a combination of hammer-ons and pull-offs with your fret hand and a tap on a different note with your picking hand. It's something that has been since used just countless times by countless different musicians. It's something that we all like to play around with, myself included, because it's a lot of fun, but of course nowhere near to the level of mastery that Eddie did. Still, with this kind of innovation, with his playing around with effects and amplifiers and all these other things, I think it just says a lot about him as a player, that during all of this, during these crazy dizzying heights of fame, he just wanted to keep it fun. He wanted to innovate and just experiment and didn't give too much stock to what other people thought about it all.
was another change-up on the guitar front for Eddie. This time, though, he wasn't building them on his kitchen table, but instead, he was considering offers from companies to build him his very own custom-made. He wasn't initially keen on the idea, but the company that turned his head was the Kramer Guitars Company. It was a little-known company that's still around today, and built him essentially a very similar look to the Frankenstein or Bumblebee, with its sort of custom stripey paint job and the kind of super strap look that was now becoming very popular. The result was the 5150 Beretta. You can still see this design around today, and it has had a bit of a revamp in recent years um, in its own line from Kramer. Another massive change for Eddie on the gear front was, well, every musician's dream the chance to build his very own home studio. And in 1983, he completed that dream, building the home studio 5150. Now, as some of you may be aware of, and as will become apparent as this podcast goes, that number kind of becomes a signature number for Van Halen. Did some research, and apparently the origin of this is this is a uh, police code that an engineer overheard on his scanner. And the code refers to the California law code for the temporary involuntary psychiatric commitment of individuals who present a danger to themselves or others due to signs of mental illness. I have no idea why that appealed to Eddie in that moment or why his engineer had a police scanner. But even so, I just thought it was a fun fact. And so with all these things in flow, the band hit the studio once again to record another album to be released in 1984. This album was called... 1984. This is probably their most recognisable album and saw a bit of a shift in the sound for the band. Most notably, it had a lot of keyboards being featured, which isn't a surprise given Eddie's background with the piano. And with all of this, the band introduced the world to what is probably their most instantly recognisable song, Junk. solos. had to include both of those parts because, well, it would be criminal if I didn't. The album did incredibly well with a number of hit singles coming out of it, including the intro to this podcast, Hot For Teacher, which is arguably one of the greatest intros to any song ever, and one of my personal favourites, the song Panama. Panama. 
In spite of all the success, though, the band ended up parting ways with its singer, David Lee Roth, after citing creative differences, amongst a few other things that, frankly, I'm not going to get into because, well, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And as we go to find out later on in the band's history, they managed to patch things up. But David Lee Roth, in this time, did pursue a solo career and went on to hire legendary shred guitar player Steve Vai. The reason why I bring this up is because something that was thrown around in this sort of time frame was that this was a kind of a competition, that someone like Steve Vai could perhaps rival Eddie Van Halen in guitar, and maybe this was David Lee Roth's way of getting back at the band. But there's a completely different side to this story, and I think this clip that I'm about to play from Steve Vai talking about this really kind of sums up the relationship that not only he, but I think all of the guitar players have with Eddie Van Halen. Vi's contribution to David Lee Roth's sound and success is evident. Inspired by competition with Eddie Van Halen, maybe? No, you see, I've been going through that my whole life. You know, from even from the Zappa days when um, it was, you know, uh, Adrian Ballou was in the band and I took his place, or Warren Cucurullo, and then um, Alcatraz with Ingve, and then uh, David Lee Roth with Eddie Van Halen, and and then, you know, Whitesnake. Now, I can't really be bothered by, by that. I would be miserable. I would never be able to do my job. You know, I mean, I've never, I would be so apprehensive. Can you imagine? Edward Van Halen? I mean, he's one of my favorite guitar players. He's fantastic. You know, what he's done for the guitar. I would never try to diminish that. And I would never try to compete with it. I just do what I do. And kids will pick up on that. And they'll just know that within 10 minutes, you know, this is what this guy does and that's what this guy does. I get my best results that way, you know? I'm always trying to better myself as a musician. When somebody comes along who is capable of doing things beyond what I can do, or I just find it as an inspiration, you know. I would be a fool if I competed with the people who I uh, have replaced. <laughs> really, I think Steve summed it up super well there. If there's anyone who was capable of kind of replacing him or being in competition, it's somebody like Steve Vai with all his technical prowess. But as he makes clear from that clip in the interview, when it comes to music, when it comes to the guitar, it's not a competition. Really, music is an art form, isn't it? It's a way of expressing ourselves. And of course, when we look back at Eddie Van Halen's body of work, that's ultimately what you see. It's just a man expressing himself through his instrument. And therefore, it's not a contest. It's not about who can play faster. It's not about who's got the most skills or whatever but it is purely about the music. And I think it's such a nice sentiment that so many people have echoed. And when it comes to Eddie, that's the way we look at him. Yes, he was incredibly gifted in his technique, but he didn't use it to flaunt anything. It was just purely a way of expressing himself. And that's something we should remember in all of the eras of Van Halen. Speaking of, with the change in singer, did come a change in tone for the band, and this introduced what some people call the Van Hagar era, with singer Sammy Hagar taking his place. And he was signed up pretty quick after the departure of David Lee Roth, and the band was ready to release their next album, 5150, in 1986. Hello, baby!
The album did incredibly well, going straight to the US Billboard charts at number one, and subsequently, every other album that they did with Sammy Hagar did the same. It was a winning formula, and fans seemed to really enjoy the new type of sound they were getting out of Van Halen. It wasn't a complete departure, but it was more just a continuation from where 1984 left off, with a bit more keyboards thrown in, as well as some great guitar riffs. This is something I do find interesting, though, that as this shift came in, some fans kind of went the other way. Some were insisting that, you know, without David Lee Roth, that it wasn't Van Halen anymore. Or, you know, even now, looking back, some people will kind of insist that you have to be in either the David Lee Roth camp or the, the Hagar camp. And frankly, I think it's a silly argument. When you look at the body of work across the board, it doesn't matter. Both singers contributed and did something completely different. Both of them had an incredible range. And, you know, primarily, if you're looking at the guitar playing, it was consistent across the board. There wasn't really a shift in that. So I don't see what the big argument is. I mean, you can have a preference. Personally, I'm more familiar with the David Lee Roth era because that's more of what my dad listened to. But doing this and checking out more of the Hagar stuff, I definitely see the appeal. I mean, I'll put it like this. How can you not enjoy this song? It's got what it takes So tell me why can't this be love Straight from my heart Oh, tell me why can't this be love I mean, what a tune. And with that formula working and the regular tour cycles and albums coming in, they got straight back into that flow. Although they managed to spread the albums out a little bit more this time. Probably that had something to do with the now ever-growing tour cycle that they were on. And so with the next album being OU812 in 1988, the band was heading full charge straight into the 90s. So with the growing fame and media attention, documentaries and interviews began pouring in. I did some research and I found a clip from an MTV rockumentary that I thought was quite good as it kind of shines some light on the now working partnership between Van Halen and Sammy Hagar. After 20 minutes, man, first time we played was Summer Nights, and just right off the bat, Sammy just came up with a melody, lyrics, everything. I, I mean, I, I was going, where's this guy from, you know? <laughs> the best part of Sammy, besides him being a great guy, uh, is I can write anything and ask him to sing anything because of his vocal range, you know? I mean, like in Dreams or the screams in, it, in the end of 5150, the song, uh, I asked him to hit a note and he went past it, you know? And I just went, whoa, you know? And so this partnership continued right on into the 90s. And in 1991, they released another album, Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, on June 18th. 
This album went straight to the number one in the US Billboard charts, as I said before, and earned them their first ever Grammy in 1992. An even bigger and more important event in Eddie's life occurred on March 16th, 1991, when his son, Wolfgang Van Halen, was born. Like any parent, this was a huge moment in Eddie's life, and there are many, many stories of how much he had just adored his boy, and I think they're so heartwarming, and I will get more into that a bit later on, and the significance of their relationship. But for now, I'll just say that the birth of his son, of course, had an impact on his life, as it would anybody, and it definitely started working its way into his music quite early on. The first incarnations that we get of this are a rather beautiful little instrumental that he wrote in honour of his son called 316. influence can still be found today in the Wolfgang guitar series which you can find under the EEH brand. Initially this design was drummed up by Ernie Ball Music Man and it was initially called the Music Man EEH. This came after Eddie left his deal with Kramer and was a completely new design for Eddie and his guitars. He even designed the headstock from scratch which is under one of his patents which again if you google it will come up. He left his partnership with Ernie Ball in 95 and gave the design a little bit of a touch-up and most importantly renamed it the Wolfgang series. He played that from 95 right up to 2004 with Peavy and then continued the design again under his own name EVH which you can still find them around today. Speaking of Peavy, well this brings us up to what is arguably one of the most important and probably significant impacts that Eddie has had when it comes to hardware and design, the PV5150 amplifier. To those of you who don't know, this was a massive game changer in high gain amplification. Naturally, everyone wanted to know, how did Eddie get this crazy sound out of his guitars? Well, there wasn't much in the way of secrets. It was essentially a Marshall, and he just turned it way up and didn't really care much for uh, volume control. That was kind of the big secret. But as time went on, he managed to find himself a few deals. Solando was a company that he had a good run with for a while. They still have some excellent amplifiers around based off of the work they did with him. But the biggest change came when he approached PV and wanted a completely new designed amplifier. He wanted it built from scratch to sound really just like him. He wanted that sound, he wanted that crazy high gain tone. And more importantly, he wanted to sell it to the public. He wanted it to be something that they could get their hands on too. Here's a clip from the engineer James Brown who had the pleasure of working with Eddie on this absolutely iconic and 
life-altering project. But that was the premise was he was going to all these different companies and trying to find somebody that could build this Jose modded amp and but do it in such a way that a kid could buy it. And that was a big thing for him. It was like, you know, it's one thing for all these artists and stuff to be able to spend millions of dollars or, you know, not millions, but you know, thousands of dollars to get their amps modded and to buy expensive stuff. But he was looking for a way to make something that a regular person could buy mm-hmm. and get their and get a decent sound, you know. I just think that's incredible that right from the get go, Eddie wasn't interested in having an expensive, you know, out of reach amplifier just for him and him alone. He was confident with his sound playing it in whatever way he could. As I said before, the previously famous brand sound as it was known was just a martial amplifier he just had a way of dialing it in and a lot of it came from his playing naturally but here when it comes to designing something for the market he wants it to be affordable he wants it to be something that anyone can get their hands on and just use how they see fit and really that's what the market did i can guarantee if you've been a fan of rock and metal music since the 90s right the way up to today you have heard this amplifier or the variations thereof after in use. There's really, there's too many bands and artists to list. If I went and listed all the people that use it today, it would become a separate podcast with its own series that would probably long outrun Fundamentals. It's that extensive. But really, it's just a testament, I think, to his his ingenuity and I think his his generosity as well. He gave that gift to the market and just went, here, do what you will with it. And I, for one, can say thank you, Eddie, for that, because it's a sound that I myself am a huge fan of, and I think many bands that I love today possibly wouldn't have that sound if it wasn't for him and the PV5150. Staying with the history of the band, though, at this moment in time, the relationship between Van Halen and Hagar sadly began to sour and after the releasing the album balance on january 24th of 1955 and despite again the success the number one u.s billboard charts the tours all of it hagar left the band in 96. this did see a very brief reunion with david lee roth on some live tours but it didn't really go anywhere and there was never initially a plan for them to hit the studios so the band found themselves once again looking for a singer. This was no small feat considering the popularity of the Hagar era, and when you think about it, every album they'd released up to this point had reached number one. So that's quite a lot of commercial pressure, as well as artistic. In the end, they chose Gary Sharon from the band Extreme to join them, and the result was the album Van Halen 3, released on March 17th, 1998. However, this album didn't quite have the same love from the fans and the critics. It only reached number four on the US Billboard charts, and despite a very sincere effort with tours and promotion, the band decided to part ways with Sharon in 99. 
interestingly, uh, before I recorded this, I had a chat with my dad about this, and he, and I have to say quite a few others, actually, in the Van Halen fan base, don't really remember this album. It, it seems quite unmemorable in many ways. I don't think it's particularly bad by any stretch, and Gary Sharon certainly has a fantastic range in his voice, you know, and the band is still Van Halen, you know, you've still got this incredible combo, but for whatever reason, this just didn't stick. And by all accounts, the uh, executives over at the Warner Brothers record label felt the same way. So after releasing this album, touring it, and then parting ways with Sharone, Van Halen decided to go on a bit of a hiatus. The 2000s were a bit of a mixed bag for Eddie Van Halen in his personal life. This was the decade that saw him have a fight with cancer, go through a divorce and battle alcoholism after entering rehab. Well, thankfully, he came through all of those trials healthier and happier and decided to take a bit of time to focus on his family and on his brand. So it was around 2004 that he ended his partnership with Peavy, and as I said, they still continue to make excellent products. Uh, but he wanted to take all of this in a new direction. So he partnered up with Fender, and thus the EVH brand was born. Chief among the many things that he wanted to go over and redesign was the EVH Wolfgang guitar. So he decided to go with some engineers and Fender and give it a bit of an overhaul. Here's an interview with him discussing the process. Ed, um, this guitar is part of, I think, an amazing journey of yours. You know, it really represents this evolution of your knowledge and your taste and your tone chasing. You know, the guitar had been around for about 20 years, electric guitar, and you weren't satisfied with that. What really set you off and to find your own sound and your own voice? I'm constantly putzing with stuff, tone chasing closing my eyes and just playing the guitar and the feel of it and this and that. And the previous Wolfgang, you know, we put it this way, the new Wolfgang is a culmination of about 35 years yes. or more. Everything that I've destroyed, <laughs> everything that I've stumbled onto, you know, uh, is in this guitar. You know, it's everything I know, everything that I know and have experienced in my journey to where we are now. Another product that was top of his list to go over and redesign and release was, of course, the 5150 amplifier. And in 2007, the world was introduced to the EVH 5150. Here's a little clip with Eddie talking it over with some engineers. I think sound is as important as if you want it to be reproduced 
to enhance what you're playing, you know, and it's a sound a certain way. And there's a time and a place for a clean sound and everything. I use many different sounds, but over the top, it's definitely got to go to 12, so to speak. Well, the new edition of the EDH5150 and the subsequent series of amplifiers that came out under the brand thereafter, well, I can tell you they definitely go up to 12, so to speak. They're incredibly well-performing amplifiers, and really, as I stated earlier, if I was going to list all the different bands who now use that amplifier or variations of, oof, that would become the second series of uh, episodes in that long-running podcast, which I am not going to do. But this does bring us right the way up to the 2010s. Now, there had been a bit of a shift around in the band's lineup quite significantly. Wolfgang Van Halen had joined the band as their official bass player. The reason for this was not just nepotism or any kind of ego like that. No, it was sincere. Wolfgang had, of course, had what some would consider to be one of the greatest musical educations one could ask for. I mean, with a dad like Eddie Van Halen, an uncle like Alex Van Halen, and people like Michael Anthony, David E. Roth, and many others, no doubt, that came and went in his life, it's safe to say music was definitely going to play a part in his life in some form or another. There's, again, many stories of Eddie supporting Wolfgang and learning all instruments. He's a very talented multi-instrumentalist. And so it seemed fit for him to join the band on bass. After doing a few reunion tours with them and cementing his place, rumours started to bubble up about a potential album from Van Halen. Now, these weren't just mere speculations. They actually had some kind of merit to them. As I said earlier, Wolfgang had joined the band. They had a promising tour with uh, David Lee Roth doing many of the greatest hits. And it seemed like the chemistry was flowing once again. Well, the rumours were confirmed in August 2010. David Lee Roth was going to be joining the band Van Halen back in the studio to release their 12th studio album, the seventh, to feature him. The album was called A Different Kind of Truth and was released on February 7th, 2012. The album did incredibly well, reaching number two in the US Billboard charts upon its release and apparently number six in the United Kingdom, which was the highest it's ever reached in the UK. The band then announced a massive world tour and embarked on what would become Eddie Van Halen's last tour. During the tours, they managed to record and release one of these live performances in Tokyo. I highly recommend you go and check out that because it's a fantastic show and it's just really nice to see them performing songs that at that point they hadn't performed in years together. In then around 2015, the shows came to a bit of a standstill and the band went very quiet for a few years. Um, unsurprisingly, though, this had a lot to do with Eddie's treatment and illness, which they kept very private and 
that's completely understandable. I know myself, I was in a position hoping that Van Halen would come back and eventually show up in the UK. But of course, it wasn't meant to be as on October 6th, 2020 of this year, we found out that Eddie Van Halen had been battling cancer and sadly, well, he lost his battle. And this really brings me right the way up to today, to where we are now at time of recording in December 2020. As I said at the start, really, of this podcast, the outpouring that came from the announcement from Wolfgang Van Halen himself, it's been tremendous, and for good reason. You know, that as I've hopefully touched upon, even just briefly in this podcast, you can see this man had a very hectic, busy life. He gave so much in his art form and inspired so many. And so it's unsurprising, really, the response that his loss has generated and the tributes continue to pour in. Uh, I'm even going to link a few in the description of this podcast if you would like to see a few more. In the course of preparing this podcast, though, I was curious to see what Eddie would have made of all the fame and attention, as it's kind of become clear doing the research, he wasn't a very showy guy. Um, so I just did some digging, and I found this small clip from an interview that I just felt it would be good to include. Does it make you nervous to be called like a guitar hero at all? And you, people were putting on the cover of Guitar Player magazine, here he is, God. I mean, you feel a little odd about that sort of thing? It's, it's nice, but sometimes it's like, come on, you know, we're just a punk kid who plays guitar. Well, I think I can safely speak on behalf of everyone when I say we will miss that punk kid who plays guitar. And if you listening to this um, don't know an awful lot about Eddie Van Halen, first of all, thank you for checking out this podcast. And second of all, I hope that changes. I hope that you're able to go back and just appreciate this man's very extensive body of work for what it is. And if you're a guitar player or just even a really musician in general, I hope you get some inspiration from him, you know, checking out all of the work and, of course, all of the gear. And this brings us to really the end of this episode and something I just wanted to address at the end of all of this. Um, it's something that, you know, it's shades of, of positive and negative, as most things are on the internet. And that is the now budding career of Wolfgang Van Halen. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is quite simple, um, is that really... There's been some pretty nasty behaviour on the internet, and I don't think we should be surprised by that, unfortunately, because it's the internet. But it doesn't mean we should condone it. And I like to think that you listening would be in agreement with me when I say that, as far as I'm concerned, with Wolfgang's career and what he's going to do with the future, I wish him nothing but the best. You know, and, I, and I'm really sorry for his loss, because we have to remember, at the end of all of this, you know, Eddie was a dad a husband, a brother, you know, he was so much more than just a guitar player that we all like, it, you know, family, it all comes above everything else, so my condolences go out to his family, really, and as far as Wolfgang's concerned, you know, I'm sure he'll have a great career, I, I had the pleasure actually of seeing him tour with one of my favourite guitar players, Mark Tremonti, in his solo band, and uh, Wolfgang was playing bass and I can tell you he didn't earn that spot just through nepotism or through his who his daddy was you know 
he earned it because the guy can play. He's an incredible musician, and I witnessed that for myself. Um, and in recent times, he's brought out, well, what's going to be his future solo project? It's WVH Mammoth, which, uh, if you remember back to the beginning of this podcast, you know, Mammoth was one of the early band names for Van Halen. So I think that's a really cool tribute. That's WVH Mammoth. I think that's so cool. Um, and I'm going to put a link in the description and play a clip here for you uh, for the first single that he's brought out. It's called Distance. It's a loving tribute to his dad. It comes with a music video that I defy anyone to sit through without tearing up. It's incredibly moving. Um, I'm going to link that in the uh, description of this podcast. I highly recommend after you've listened to this that you just go and check it out. It's so moving. And if that is any kind of indication of what Wolfgang has in store for us as an artist, well, I for one am very, very excited to see what he can do in the future. And of course, really, there shouldn't be a dispute. You know, if we're fans of Van Halen, if you listening call yourself a fan of Van Halen, well, I think it should really go without saying that of course you will extend the same courtesy and respect um, and dare I say it, love that Eddie would extend to his son and the support that he would have given. You know, Eddie was clearly incredibly uh, proud of his boy and everything he was going to do. So as a fan, of course, we will extend those same feelings that Eddie had and wish him nothing but the best. I'm just the luckiest father on the planet. I mean, for for what he's grown up in, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink, he doesn't do drugs. Uh, You're not so bad either. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> and that's where I'd like to leave this episode. Thank you so much uh, for checking this out. As I said, it was a bit of an experiment, a bit of a departure to what I normally do here where I, I have a guest on, they talk to me about the things they love and why they love them. So thank you for checking this out. And if you have any Van Halen stories yourself, then please message me. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, both at FundamentalsPod. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your experiences, big or small. I'd welcome them all. I promise you that wasn't on purpose. I just realised that I did that. So on that note, I will just say once again, thank you for checking this out. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, if you're not already, I'd greatly appreciate it. And stay tuned because I will be back in a few weeks' time with a guest on a completely random subject. I hope to see you there. And as promised, I'm going to close this out with a little snippet from the track Distance by Wolfgang Van Halen. Enjoy. No matter what the distance is, I will be with you.